Pelotero Pickle episode 46. Two major topics today. We're talking sticky stuff and the NCAA decision on NC State. You're not going to want to miss this one. Check it out. Pelotero Pickle episode 46. It is June 28th. Welcome to the Pickle. I'm Bobby Tewksbury. Joining me is Chris Colabello. Chris, how are you doing today? Good, Bobby. How are you? I was going to have this show brought to us by a sponsor. That's why I held the cup, but not. It's not. We're not brought to you by anybody yet, except for me and you and Patrick. Do you want to plug uh, Pickle, our mailbag? Pickle at Pelotero.com? Or yeah, I'm on it. Did I I'm plug Pickle it. at Pelotero.com? You got it? Yeah. Hey, we're always looking for what you want to hear. Email us at Pickle at Pelotero.com. Topics, ideas, thoughts, whatever you want, we'll talk about it, except for stuff that we don't want to talk about. Good job plugging Pickle at Pelotero.com, the mailbag. I would have plugged Pickle at Pelotero.com, but I didn't have to because you plugged Pickle hey, at Pelotero.com. You, you know what? We should just all email Pickle at Pelotero.com. All right, let's get into the topics. That was an absurd way to get started. No, before we start, I want to Speaking talk about of, I was going to segue. Speaking of absurdity, go ahead. Go ahead. What happened right there? Yeah, I mean, it's going to suck, but you're good. Yeah, go ahead. What no, so I'm in back room, NABC. I'm in my office. And the guy needs to use the Concept 2, which is right next to me, because they had to put the Concept 2 in the hallway. So it's going to be awesome. I want him to go. Just go. No, just go. Just go, man. I, we're going to embrace it. I can't wait to hear it. Tell me if this makes some audio noise. A little bit. But I think it's play. But how long is he doing that for? He can't erg forever. It's at least a hard minute. About 30 seconds? Did you go 30? Nice. All right. So it wasn't too bad. It's playable. So he might be on the podcast. It wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. Um, yeah. So I was going to segue from our absurd intro to speaking of absurd things happening. We got big league pitchers taking their pants off for uh, sticky stuff checks, which out of context is kind of weird. Uh, what the heck is going on in the big leagues? We had our first, the Alvarez guy in the Mariners yesterday was the first guy to get caught. Santiago. Hey, Santiago. What did I say? Alvarez. What's his first name? Hector. I don't know why I said that. Yeah, uh, you were close. <laughs> I was in the ballpark. Uh, they hermetically sealed the glove and they shipped it out to New York. I love that yeah. like the the protocols that they're, they're talking about chain of command on the broadcasts you know it's all right in front of, wow guys good job setting up this protocol where an umpire can arbitrarily say oh yeah it's sticky kick him out of the game and then wait till the next day to decide yeah. can't they bowers, they should swap bowers, it like at the airport that's what he said did you watch bowers interview on sunday night baseball i saw it yeah but one time i i left my my i my iphone cable in my back pocket going through a security check by accident, and they did, like, the whole bomb swipe thing. Yeah, swap, you could yeah. be able to do that for rosin. It's not a big deal. It's rosin. So is rosin still allowed? Because there's a rosin bag on the mound, or is it just there for looks? You can use – you can – so they, <laughs> there's a clarifying statement. You can use rosin, and you can use sunscreen, but you can't intentionally use rosin and sunscreen. So did you see the umpire when, when Santiago, Alvarez, Hector, Rodon, whatever you're going to call him, Santiago – he was going to his wrist, like the umpire was like showing his wrist, because he had clearly put rosin on his wrist. 
I guess what the umpires want you to do is not sunscreen your wrist so you can get sunburn on your wrist. Yes. And then only put rosin on that part, which is ridiculous. But they, they, should, do, they should do like uh, when a pitcher comes in the game, put alcohol swab and wipe and clean yep. off the forearms, remove all sunscreen so that they can then move. Yes. Uh, and the then one let thing, make them go into the dugout and then reapply sunscreen. The one thing that could be crazy because they were, I don't know where they were saying it was inside the glove. Imagine if you are sweating and you put rosin and then it goes on like the inside of your glove. I have a glove right here. So like, let's say like it goes like in here just because of sweat and then it just like builds up and then they take a glove and you're like, oh man, it's really sticky right there. You could have gone like, like this and gotten sticky on your glove and now you're fine. You lose 10 games gone. Yeah. Rosters every, sort of player so for 10 days. I have two things. Number one, every pitcher should just chew big league chew and then lick their fingers. Number two, make your catchers put pine, like all the catchers have stick on their, on their shin guards, right? Like every one of them. So just make them like put it all over the ball. So that way when they come check your glove, they're like, oh, well, you can't feel anything sticky. You'd be like, oh, it's the catcher's fault. Like this rule is so ridiculous. It's out of control. Bauer's interview was great. He was awesome. I, I told you I was I don't think I saw the full interview. I saw, I saw like a one minute clip of it. Was it longer uh, than that? Yeah, he was like eight minutes. He was on. Was I like did not the see the full thing then. Um, no, I mean, he basically talked about he's happy that it happened. Ridiculous that it happened during the season. Good job. You're right. Um, we talked about the, the variations. Like, one is you have no sticky stuff. Two is you have sticky stuff that creates tack, which allows you to throw. And three is you have the, the Performance you know, spider tacks, the pine tars of the world, the things that go that make you turn into, I don't know, Superman or whatever you want to call it. But he went into explaining why, uh, like, force, velocity, rotation. He was like, well, when the ball really sticks to your finger, he goes, it changes the – the pivotal access. Or you went know, like, like this on ITV. Which yeah, and he was like, oh, the spin, the spin will now create, because if you have to push the ball, if, you, if the ball gets stuck, now you're getting to create velocity. It was interesting. I mean, I thought that part was super far, but he's, he's right about everything. Um, listen, at the end of the day, like, it's all absurd. And the funny thing is, is, as you noted by all my tweets this week, because I was, I went one time through the rotation and the league hit 223. So, like, offense is not up, and they're like, oh, well, strikeouts are down, and I'm like, by, like, seven. It's – the thing is, no matter what, as the hitters are going to have to make adjustments to the Whether it's sticky stuff or not sticky stuff, high RPM stuff is not harder to hit than low RPM stuff. If you know what you're looking for, like, if you know that you're trying to swing on top, it's easier to hit high RPM stuff. If you're swinging up, like – it's harder to hit, right? So the whole point is you're gonna have to adjust no matter what they're doing. Like the the reason the time will become hard to hit is when it's different than what you're used to seeing, right? So if everybody's spinning it, like you're gonna be used to hitting guys with spin. If nobody's spinning it, you, like you get what I'm saying? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I actually wanted to make adjustments. I had one. I had a question for you because I love that you're doing those stats. I thought it was great because I had gotten into, into a little bit of Twitter beef with people about. Like, hey, there's no guaranteed performances going up just because they remove it. So I love that you're doing the daily recaps. Um, is this is it kind of like a course field effect where when players that play for Colorado play at home, they kind of get used to that altitude and the, the way the ball interacts with that atmosphere. And then they go on the road and the ball has more life to it. There's more break. Is I mean, is are we just seeing like there's going to be some pitch usage differences? Like there should be some more 
maybe off speed, more changeups, more or less reliance on just trying to spin the sh- out of the ball. Pardon my French. I try to blur, I, I bleep myself out there. You did. You did a good job. Yeah. Um, so pitch use is going to change, but there's also like the course field effect where guys were used to certain spin rates and certain uh, effect of the ball through the, through the atmosphere. And now it's going to be a little bit different. So how much do you think that's attributing to the, uh, the, the decrease in performance? That's what, that, like, I think the, the whole paradigm that's being created is so wrong, like from the, from the media and public standpoint, but we're doing it with everything, right? We're like taking these hard line stances saying, oh, well, this is going to do this and this is going to do that. It's going to affect this. When the reality of it is everything is just one big adjustment. And we've talked about this in hitting. Hitters have to make adjustments to what they see on a day-to-day basis. There's no guarantee that you're going to hit whether a guy throws sinkers or sliders or cutters or four-seamers. Like, it doesn't matter. It literally does not matter. What matters is that hitters have the ability to recognize what's happening and change with it. So, case in point, was 3,500 at-bats not enough of a sample size to say, yeah, hitters are still hitting a low bat for a low batting average? Like, it's not just the sticky stuff. And, yes, the the – the course field effect that you're talking about, it's all part of it. Like pitchers are going to have to get used to throwing with no tack now, or they're going to have to find more creative ways to get tack, like putting gum in their mouth and really like putting like water on their, their arm before they go out to the field or using somebody else's sweat to put on their arm. Like they're literally going to put somebody else's sweat on their arm if they don't sweat a lot and then hit it with the rosin bed because you have to have a grip on the ball to be able to pitch. And that was the part that was ridiculous. It's like how many spots got how many the first night I saw a breaking ball hit a guy in the helmet and like it was absurd right like watching a guy get hit in the helmet with a breaking ball was absurd watching guys miss spots watching guys take their pants off it's absurd and like players should be reacting like this because it's ridiculous to put a rule in the middle of the season so I'm gonna I'm gonna skip ahead to a, a topic here so in relation to the big picture and the CBA the collective bargaining agreement is up what, how is all of this, the theatrics of all of this, like this is getting kind of wacky. How much of this is Major League Baseball trying to create division amongst the players? I made a comment. I don't know if I said this last week on the show or if I just tweeted about it, where I, I think the players now have a big enough voice that they can't let, they're not going to let MLB just steamroll them in the media the way that they couldn't in years past, where you have guys like Trevor Bauer that have a huge audience. They can go on YouTube send it out to what 300,000 subscribers, whatever. And then it gets to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> the first night when Max Scherzer was freaking out and Joe Girardi was doing this. I mean, that was wild. That was wild to see actually happen. Yeah. It was pretty um, absurd. But pretty I tweeted I, at that, that night. I was like, the, I tweeted the scene from Braveheart where he's like, hold, hold. Cause he's like, you can't react. The players have to stay together on this. And I was curious about Joe Girardi because he's a former player. He's going to be collecting pension from the union. So what's his role with like interfering with player performance? And like, it's just so like, let's, first of all, let's clarify like what he sketchy, said. Like there's a bunch of weird stuff going on. Well, let's clarify what he said. Now, if you're the manager of the opposing team when Max Scherzer's pitching, you're trying to figure out anything you can do to get that guy out of whack or out the game, right? So kudos Joe Girardi for like trying to get Max Scherzer out the game but like his whole argument after was ridiculous he was like i saw him rub his hands through his hair 
And I've never seen him do that before. And I'm like, dude, just let him do whatever he's going to do. Like, just let him do it. Like, it is what it is. If he gets caught, he gets caught. If he doesn't, he doesn't. Like, Bauer's whole point, and going into the labor strike stuff, he was like, the problem with this whole scenario, and this happens all the time, people are not communicating the way that they used to. You don't sit down at a table with anybody and really just have dialogue anymore. Like 20 years ago, 30 years ago even, there were not enough media outlets for Major League Baseball to be able to just openly like get some narrative out into the public, right? It just didn't happen. You had to go to a newspaper and, you know, you had to go through the news cycle and get to when SportsCenter was on or, you know, wait for a release of USA Today or whatever. Because if not, it was just a local regional newspaper, whatever it was. Now, everything is being argued through the media and people are not sitting down at the table. Like, the whole point is the Major League Baseball doesn't sit down and talk with the players. They just release something to the media and then the players snap back because they're like, hey, why did nobody discuss this with us so it's ridiculous because there's a very simple middle ground here that is easy for everyone to agree on but they chose not to have the conversation they chose to just release stuff to the media see how the fans reacted see how the players reacted and then make a decision who's that on i don't know should the union be doing a better job of engaging the league my experience is bobby i thought we did a poor job generally speaking of of not feeling like it needed to be combative. Why does it always need to be combative? We're trying to grow the sport together. And if we grow the sport together, salaries are going to grow together and players are going to be taken care of together with teams. You see it in the NBA every day. The NBA is a phenomenal product. They have huge advantages over baseball in terms of roster size, excitement level of the game. But at the same time, I don't know, man. It's it just always seems divided. And I, I think that's that's the part where you know it's kind of a mess. It is a mess. It is a mess. What other what other things are gonna be involved in the CBA negotiations? What are the other big topics? I know your situation and the the what is it, the joint drug agreement? There's a bunch of stuff in there. What are the major issues are gonna be? It's, it's all, it's all going to, it's, this is going to come down to money, right? Like the first and foremost, that's going to be the biggest talking point. I mean, average salary has gone down, I think five consecutive years in major league baseball, which, you know, Trevor Bowers, his AAV right now is like 40 something, which is absurd because that's the highest AAV anybody's ever had. That's the average annual value for anybody that's. Yeah. It's more about service time manipulation, not playing, not paying veteran players, bringing up prospects that they're cycling through and up and down the elevator to, to conserve service time, all that kind of stuff. So I, but I think Major League Baseball's positioned themselves really well from a, from a divisiveness standpoint, right? In the sense that you've got guys that are making 30 to $40 million a year. There are players making 30 to $40 million per season. And I'll tell you what, you're, if you're a 30 or $40 million guy who's in year one and hasn't really cashed in yet, you're probably going to be hard-pressed to pull the trigger on a labor strike. And not to say that there needs to be more parity in salaries, but the, the bottom line number has to be higher. The whole pay structure is changing. It's, it's, it's fundamentally changing. The organizations are trying to change how players get paid. 
So therefore the pay structure and, and system for which guys get paid has to change. You can't make $500,000 for three straight years and then, and then just go, Oh, all right, cool. Now that you're a, you know, supposed to make three to five, like we're just going to shun you or not let you play or manipulate it or whatever it is. Cause that's basically what's happening. You know, they'll, they'll get through arbitration with guys where the number is usually somewhere between seven and 10 and arb three, depending on who it is. I would say average arb three for players is between seven and 10 million. That's I think a fair number. Um, but beyond that, they're just not allowing guys to have an opportunity to play because if they have a down war year and it's just all based off, you know, how many wins they were worth that season. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I would have a hard time signing a labor agreement, but the problem is, you know, the people that are working in the union are making obscene amounts of money, so they have no incentive to, to have a labor strike either. So I don't know, man. I, I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. Gonna be interesting. Do you think there? Do you think there's a well, like? What would, what would you put the odds at a labor shortage or stoppage? I would have to. I'd say it's higher than fifty-fifty, but not that much higher than fifty-fifty. Um, I think there's enough controversial stuff, but I, when when it comes down to crunch time, I just don't know if there'll be enough players that are willing to do it because there's plenty of division within the union right now. There's plenty of division on a billion topics, including mine and this sticky substance stuff. So I give the league a lot of credit because they've created that division for the players. And maybe the union hasn't done a very good job of like holding it together. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I just feel like it could, could and should be better. I'm on board with that. Let's, uh, let's shift topics to more controversy. College World Series, just mayhem with implosion. Just the worst chain of events imaginable for the NCAA to make an announcement at two o'clock in the morning to kick a team out of the tournament. Then there was a big story for uh, was it D one? What's the guy's name? Kendall um, did the full breakdown of what happened, and they were unvaccinated players who tested negative that weren't allowed to play. Even though they tested negative, there were vaccinated players who tested positive that weren't allowed to play. What the heck is going on out there? What's the Lombardi thing again? What the heck is so, going on out here? So I Just heard uh, – Crazy. Did you, and Rogers. Did, you hear, did you hear the thing where supposedly Vanderbilt requested that vaccinated people be tested on the NC State team? Is that so, like a tactic? Um. I don't think that happened. I think that was more rumor. Yeah, I think there was, some, there was some like blue level something that got triggered when enough, I think when they hit four players, or, it was not even clear because they kept in the article that, that I read, I think it was d1baseball.com, said that it kept going between like traveling party and players. So it, said, it sounds like there were two players and two non-players that tested positive. Could have been like the SI director. Who knows? The athletic trainer could have tested positive. Then they just started testing everybody because apparently that was the rules or some like what's the benefit of getting of getting vaccinated if you can just get COVID and not play anyway. And uh, apparently the entire Vanderbilt roster was tested and came back negative. And they're 100 percent vaccinated, apparently, from what I'm seeing. Um, I don't know, man, this the logic of it all. Like so the players 
that were vaccinated that had COVID would have been allowed to play if they weren't tested, even though they had COVID. And then they let 21,000 whatever people show up in the stands. There's no bubble. There's no, like, not a single person's wearing a mask at anything. If masks work, and not to get, like, political or anything, but just have the players wear masks if they <laughs> they have, they're vaccinated and have COVID or vaccinated don't have COVID, or they're not vaccinated and they don't have COVID, just wear a mask. Wear, pull up the thing, the, the gaiters that everybody was wearing that's supposed to work and help. You're, you're outside. You're talking, like... Some kid can't come in from the bullpen and stand on the mountain and throw pitches 60 feet away from everybody. <laughs> like, what are we doing? It's craziness. It's great. I can't follow the logic and it just, it's very discouraging. I want you to keep going because I love everything. There, there is so wanna, much. I don't want to get political and I don't want to get like, I'm not. But there I'm was so much ridiculous. Yeah. I'm not anti-COVID. I'm like not a COVID denier. They're just, but you took an opportunity away from these kids to do the greatest thing they could have ever accomplished. And that's the point. Like these kids work their butts off. And then, you know, to hear people say, oh, well, they did it themselves by not getting vaccinated. I don't care what anybody's stance is on vaccination. You want to get a vaccine, great. You don't want to get it, great too. Like it doesn't matter. Like America is based off of freedom and the. The, the principles and, and things that our forefathers stood for were that you can make your own decisions that affect you personally. And I'd say we're at a point where it's the people that have wanted to get vaccinated can get vaccinated. And that should be the, the all of it. It's that's it. Just if, and then if you, if you're so concerned with the spread of COVID now that everyone has had the opportunity to get vaccinated that wants it, like, why? I just, it doesn't make sense to me, right? And then you're going to let, to your point, 22,000 people in the stadium because, oh, well, it's commercial and the NCAA and the, the, the TV rights. Like, how much money is being made? So, like, let's live on the premise that this is about money. It was about money for the NCAA. That's why 22,000 people are in the stadium. That's why organizations, teams are, are – are getting to capacity. That's why this stuff is happening. It's about money. It's not about the greater good, but then you're gonna make it say that these kids can't play for the greater good. It's hypocrisy, Bobby. That's the problem with it. It's, it's not political, it's hypocritical. And I'm tired of all the people that are taking the, 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 the opposite stance saying that they don't feel bad for these kids. Like, it's not your right as a human to decide whether that kid gets a vaccine or not. It's not, you have no, saying that what I know is those kids worked their butt off and did what they did to get where they are and were positioned to win the world series. They were positioned to win the world series and they didn't even, they were on the doorstep and they got turned away. They didn't even get a chance to knock on the door. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of failed logic. So my, I keep going back to this and this is like not including any variants or whatever other COVID stuff that's going on. I'm in Texas now. The mindset down here is very different than what it was in New Hampshire, New England. But that, even that being said, like I have family that I've talked to that are like, yeah, like there's just certain people in the Northeast that are just not going to get, they're not getting the vaccine. They don't believe in it. They're all FDA, whatever this, the don't want their DNA getting messed with that. Their personal choices about getting the vaccine, getting, not getting the vaccine. We also don't know, if any of these kids already had COVID, they might have antibodies. So they're cool with it. Like they've already had COVID. So they don't, why are you going to get the vaccine? They might have side effects. They might not be able to play for a weekend when they've already had COVID. Um, so anybody that 
anybody that is concerned can get a vaccine. If like it's, you go online, you schedule an appointment, you go to CVS or Walgreens, whatever, you go get a COVID vaccine. It's not hard to do. So those people should feel safe, right? Safe. Anybody that doesn't care, they don't care anyway. They're just going to go live their life. Whether or not you have a vaccine or not, they're going to go about their business because they don't care. So the people that should need the vac that need the vaccine to feel safe, they can do so. The people that don't care, don't care anyway. Vanderbilt's team is entirely vaccinated. I'm now going like this. I'm like both sides here. Anybody that wants, like if Vanderbilt's fully vaccinated, the umpires are fully vaccinated and the NC state guys are on the bus, they're in the hotel, they're on the plane, they're around each other all the time. Anyway, what's done is done. Just go play the game. Like what do we do? Same thing with John Rom a couple weeks ago. Like none of the players cared. They're between the ropes. They're a hundred feet away from anybody. So who are you protect? Like, who are you protecting? It's just, I'm sure it's just some insurance policy that says that can't happen. And there's some protocol. No, but it's not even that. It's, I don't even think it's that. It's just agendas, Bobby. It's agenda. So this is, this is a perfect example of It was like it, so in the, in the, uh, the softball tournament, when they're doing interviews in the game, standing 20 feet away from each other. But one of them, whatever the, I think it was Holly Rowe. She's like got her, she's standing 20 feet away from a player that she's interviewing and the team is standing five feet behind her. It's like, what are you so, doing? So this is, this is the prime example of how, how, how bureaucracy works, right? So I, I experienced this with the, with the steroid stuff, right? Not to shift narratives and make it about me. But now I'm talking to people in the industry who are saying the problem is, you know, we've made these advancements in technology, whether they be in technology or in where we are as a society, but the policy hasn't changed to merit. So like when I, when I got suspended, I got suspended for a thing that, supposedly was a thing that came from something. And five and a half years later, we haven't shifted the policy. The UFC changed their policy because they realized that there's a problem with the test. There, whether it's we're somehow being exposed to this thing in a, in a small dose and it's causing this positive test, the same way all the things that have needed to happen in this situation have happened and we haven't changed the policy to mirror what's actually happening in our society. And, and this is the problem when you deal with the masses and you try to create rules that are, are pretty arbitrary considering the circumstances. And the thing that sucks the most at the end of the day is like the victim are the kids. It's the kids. We're talking about kids. I sent out a tweet the other day and somebody had the nerve to send a tweet like saying about the, the NC State kids and I've never felt so bad for a group of young men because they've literally lived they, they came out of the basement dude they were in the basement their season was over and they turned they flipped the script and were positioned to win the world series they just beat the number one seed in the super regional after getting their butt kicked in game one that's a group of character kids right there if i've ever seen one and you know somebody had the nerve to say you know i don't feel pity for people that shoot themselves in the foot and complain about the pain I was like, that would be the equivalent of making the argument that you don't feel bad for a guy that gets rear-ended by a tractor trailer because he chose to drive like what like come on guys like come on that that's it sucks and at the end of the day it's about the kids and it really it's terrible man it's you know i wish i, I honestly wish and i saw somebody say this i think barstool said it i wish that vanderbilt would forfeit the game and just be like i'm gonna forfeit the national championship we don't deserve to be here we didn't earn it well and that's so i don't blame vanderbilt for they they're not to blame for anything they it's it's not their fault the ncaa Unless it comes out of that, it was their fault. <laughs> but they're, you know, they, they're, NC State didn't beat them. Vanderbilt didn't beat NC State. 
Like the game just didn't happen. So I, I don't. The first it. game technically didn't happen. They played with 13 dudes and a pitcher at first base. Sure. But even if they have a full roster, we, the, the worst thing about it for me is like, we'll never know. Those players will never know. At least if you go out and you play and you lose, then you have closure on it. That's now what competition is like, supposed to be about. And we've, 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 as a society, we've, we've drifted much closer to not allowing those things to happen. That's what makes sports great, man. Is it, it, it's playing the game. It's seeing the outcome. It's not, it, it, we're so quick to just take people's opportunities to compete away from them for one reason or another. And man, like is life worth living as an athlete if you don't get to compete? Right. If you're a true competitor by nature, is life even worth living to a lot of people? I know that's getting crossing the line probably from whatever kind of sports talk show that we're supposed to be to like some deeper stuff. But like these kids want to play. All the athletes want to play. That's why they're born to play. And that's why you play the game is to compete and figure out if you can win when your back's up against the wall. And when you take that stuff away from people, it, it just it defeats the purpose of a lot of different stuff, man. Yeah, I use I use the word discouraging. To it's just like what's the point? It's like if if the NCAA can just come in and make that decision, there's there's just it's just discouraging. It just well, the funny thing was they tried to they tried to blame it on the county. Oh yeah, health department, and the county was like, no, we didn't say this. Of course, but the problem is they're going to get away with it because there's going to be a college world series final, and NC State's not going to be in it, and people are going to watch it. That's what sucks is you got to, this is the only way to stop the giants is make a loud enough noise, I guess. Don't feed the beast. Can't feed the beast. I won't watch, I won't watch the national championship series. I won't do it. I mean, I, I, I stopped watching the, uh, the Texas and the Mississippi state stuff. I saw, I was flipping through the channels and I every time on, on YouTube TV, I kept seeing the uh, NC state Vanderbilt game. Cause I, it, um, I subscribe to all the NCAA tournament games. Every time I saw him, I'm like, screw this. I'm not watching. Like, it just put a bad taste in my mouth every single time I saw it. And it's just, I just feel bad for those kids that never, they, like you said, they just didn't get a chance to compete, didn't get a chance to leave it out there. Just didn't have a chance. Champions in my book, man. So, champions in my book. Uh, let's move on. Wander Franco. The Wanderer. Because I'm the Wanderer. Uh, came out the gates hot. Two-hit game. Hit a homer and a double. And then wore the collar for a little bit there and got another hit. So he's two for – three for 22, I believe. Not not hot. We were talking pre-show about Wander, his first impressions. Then also with uh, Jared Kelnick with, with the Mariners. We could go back in the day to uh, a young Aaron Hicks with the Twins. I guess the topic here is like rushing guys, putting them in the spotlight. Like, how long do you run them out there for? Like, what is what would Wander need to do? And he seems like a super talented player. This his first at bat to me was really impressive. He went 0-2, laid off pitches. He's up there blowing bubbles, just chilling, just relaxed. So maybe he's like. Dude, doesn't he doesn't even care what his batting average is. Doesn't care when the if he got a hit two months ago, he doesn't care because he's just that confident, and that good. But at what point does it do you say, okay, we got to be careful here because like, at what point do you become 
emotionally and mentally fragile and create long-term damage. I think no matter, like, I think no matter what, I think most, most first year guys, I mean, think about how many first time in the big leagues dudes like really came with it and then just carried, like sustained it. Pujols, Cabrera, Griffey. I mean, and I'm talking came with it, like lived up to the hype. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of hype to live up to. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of any other guys that really were just sustained success for the first like three to five years of their career without batting an eyelash. Like Trout didn't do it. Trout didn't come up. Trout got kicked in the teeth when he first came up. Um, so it, it, it's more likely to happen than it's not. The question is how you deal with it, right, as a player. Now, to your point about Wander, I, I he's had to live up to massive expectations, massive hype, and he really seems like he embraces it. Like, he just seems like he wants it, which I think is a huge testament to a young player to be able to do that. And where other players have a tendency to, like, act like they want it, and then they shy away from it, like – it's tough to tell. Like you have to make a, a character judgment on, on the, on the player. I'm guessing this guy's going to be okay. That's my take. Um, you know, I, mainly because he minimized swing and miss a lot at the minor league level. Like he didn't swing and miss at all almost. Um, and because of that, I think, you know, he's going to be able to do some things that will allow him to have success. And not to mention he's going to play, probably very elite shortstop. Um, what, where's the line? I don't know, Bobby. I don't know where the line is. Let me get you some numbers on, on Wander right now. So he is two for 20, three for 22 with a double and a homer. His batting average on balls in play is 125. 125, pretty low. His, uh, his hard hit rate is 41.2, very high. We were looking up. I believe it was Devers, Rafael Devers, is at 44% right now, hard hit rate, which is pretty good. Uh, Wander, 41% hard hit rate, 52%, 52.9% medium rate, which that's usually a really good sign if you're like making solid contact. Soft contact is 5.9%. How many punches you got? Under five, six? In his, where is it? Where is it? It's a 18% strikeout rate. So he struck out five times. So five times and 22 at bats. Also five walks. So one to one ratio. I, was just, that's, I know he walked in his freaking. So this guy is going to be okay. Man. So, but, so only a 5% or 6% soft contact rate. It's pretty good. Go pull up Kelnick now. And now, because so we were talking about, you want to talk about apples to apples, right? We were talking about the number one and the number three prospect in baseball. So if you really want to evaluate why. Kelnick probably needed to go back. The only way you go 0 for 39 is, or whatever it was that he took to 0 for 36 is if you're like straight domed out because you just find a way to get a hit unless you're, you're up against it. You know, if you're in your own brain thinking about, oh my God, I'm going to have another day without a hit. And let me tell you something. This was part of what I wanted to talk about at the beginning of the show. This, this stuff is real. Like, this stuff is real. If you go to the field thinking you ain't getting a knock, you ain't getting no knocks. They ain't just showing up. All right, Kelnick, hard hit rate, 24.6 compared to Franco's 41. Medium contact was 54.4 compared to 52. 
Soft contact was 21.1 compared to 5.9. And then Kelnick's batting average ball to play, 109. Well, well how many strikeouts? Uh, 28.3% strikeout rate, which is not crazy high, but Walk, well, how many how many walks? What was, so was walks? 20, Twenty-six to eight. Strikeouts. Twenty-six punches, eight walks. Yeah, that ain't no one to one, dog. No, it's hard to if you if you're not prepared to hit in the big leagues, it's hard to not hit with like anything over like a two to one strikeout to walk ratio. My my year in Toronto, I struck out. It was ninety-eight times. I only walked twenty-two times. I want to say, but I I was in a good space mentally to that at that point that I could I could handle it right like I could I felt like I could handle 2015 um so Chris Colabello's Chris K rate 26.7 and his walk rate, walk rate was 6.3 on base per, uh, batting average balls in play Oh, 423. Oh, you hit too high. Bad was high. 411. 411. Let's check oh, it. Oh, sorry. I said it was too high. Hard hit rate was 31.5. Loud. Loud. 31.5 is not like Fernando Tetsis Jr. is like 50 or 60%. I'm, I'm not Fernando Tetsis Jr., bro. I know, but he's really good. Yeah, my bad. I, there's, a kid, there's a kid I, I played against in college, Matt Devins. He was at the shortstop at Stony Brooks. And Stony Brook, and he made a comment on Facebook about like Fernando Tatis is underrated or overrated. And I just every every couple of weeks, I'll just take a screenshot and send it to him. <laughs> just be like, this dude's setting records. He's got a chance to be the best player of all time. He's the only one in our game right now that, that I think has a chance to be the best player of all time. So Carlton Salter, Carlton Salters texts me every single day about the young guns of the game. And he asked me the other day, which player I would take of the young guys. So we got Vlad Jr., Fernando Tatis Jr., Acuna, Shohei. We could, we could throw Bo in there. There's you some... got to put, put Juan Soto in too. Yeah, Juan Soto. Is he getting old now though? No, he's still a puppy. Yeah, he's like 22. He's like a 22-year-old vet. But not like, because he played for 22 years. He, yeah, he's 22. He'll be 23 in a couple weeks. Yeah, he's old. Not in a couple weeks. Couple no, months. look, Tatis, Tatis, if he figures out how to be like a solid defender or they move him to third at some point, like he's going to probably be the best player ever. I, I heard I heard some some rumors about Tatis Jr. I don't know if I'm allowed to disclose them. Going to first base? Yeah. Nope. Outfield. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I would put him in center. Easy. Uh potential 2022 situation. Yeah, but I mean, he can't, like, he can't play shortstop like that. It's just going to do it the no, to how good a player uh, Tatis Jr.'s hard at rate, 51% this year. Last year was 54.9. Uh, I, I still like I still like Juwan Soto so much. Soto is unreal. Let me, I want to check his rates. It's, He's hitting 260 right now. Mm, false. 270, sorry. 278 with a 274, sorry, 306 Babbitt. His hard hit rate currently is 35.9. Last two years it was 42, 41. So line drive rate is fine. Fly ball rate's a little bit up. His I always I always like when I whenever I do these like breakdowns, I always look at like 
if they're pulling the ball more, if they're hitting the ball on the ground more, like trying to find context, check swing rates, if they're chasing out of the zone. The point of the story, yeah, it, it depends how uncomfortable their swings are, right? And that, that's right. Like if you're not, if you're striking out, you're not walking or it, you're, like you said, check swing, swing out of zone, out of zone swing rate. I, I don't see a problem. But getting back to the original point, I think Wander's going to be just fine. But this does, again, make me want to talk more about the totality of hitting. It's a mindset, man. It is a mindset. Hitting is a mindset. And I am dealing with so many young players. Like, I, I, I want to share a lot of the stuff that college guys and high school guys that I know. You, you have to have – there are so many fine lines that you have to toe where, the, like, one side of it's too extreme, the other side's too passive, and you have to live somewhere in, 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 in this neighborhood where you're just towing lines everywhere like of intensity and relaxation, right? Like be intense and be relaxed. You've got to figure out where you need to be on that line. Um, like being, you know, wanting to succeed and understanding that you're going to fail. Like that's the humility line that I talk about. Like you've got to toe that line because you can't accept striking out three times in a college summer ball game. But at the same time, you have to know that it's possible that it can happen and be able to move on, right? Like not thinking about the past and like, learning from the past. There's another line that you need to toe. There are so many different things that can occur in your brain on a day-to-day basis at the, and that probably need to occur to be successful. And I feel like those things are being lost on this generation, right? And I, I don't mean that in a way that is, you know, necessarily like like this generation can't hit or this generation stinks or whatever. What I mean is that I just think we don't have enough bandwidth as individuals, right? We don't have enough bandwidth to do all the things that we want to do every day and do the lifting and the nutrition and that, like, and then do the training and, and then at the end, like figure out how to hit. Right. So like, I think there needs to just be more focus on that from, from an early age. And that's what I've been saying to a lot of the hitters is like, you guys train so hard and you focus on all these things that I really don't ultimately know if they're like the most, if they're even that important at all. Like, because you cross a certain point, like when you're a physical specimen, right, you're a college kid and you're, you know, built like a brick poop house and, you know, you're in great shape. Like, do you need to go lift on a Tuesday morning before your game? Like in, in summer ball? Yeah. I, I talked about this a little bit on the sport techie thing last week about kind of what we're doing with from a swing mechanic standpoint and, and how we're going to leverage technology on that. I cannot wait to be able to tell a kid like, hey, you don't need to worry about your mechanics. Like you're good. Stop thinking about that. Focus on other things. Or if you do need to work on swing mechanics, here are the things you objectively should probably take a look at. Like your back elbow stays back too much when you're swinging. So that's going to make you steep. So we need to get the elbow down. Like something simple like that where we can measure it and show it and say like your swing is going to perform this way because of this movement. So fix that instead of like, oh, was that one good? Was that one good? What do you think? What do you got? Yeah, we're and like, oh, I struck out last night. It's got to be my swing. It's like, no, your swing's fine. Stop thinking about your swing. Stop blaming your swing. 
like focus on the right thing. And that's the funny part, right? Is that it, there's this expectation in their brains that just because they created one swing that it should exist in perpetuity, right? Like, dude, you're going to wake up tomorrow and be a different human. You need to be educated about how to move to give yourself the best chance to move within the framework of what your body allows on any given day, right? Because it's different today than it is yesterday or than it was yesterday. And then it will be tomorrow. It's just different. Like you wake up one week, you're sore. You're more sore than another week. You wake up another week, you're whatever. Yeah, like emotionally you got stuff going on. So like your objective, your job is to go like create a swing and practice that gives you a chance that night. Just leave the cage thinking that you have a chance. And in order to do that, you've got to be able to hit a line drive. Right? You gotta be able to hit a line drive. If you can't hit a line drive in BP, you ain't in one again. Now that doesn't mean you have to take good BPs. Like I, my best days on the field were my worst BPs because I'd be like, I gotta resign myself to the fact that like I ain't very good today. Like I'm not very good today, so I gotta go scratch and claw and compete, you know. And I gotta focus more on hitting the ball to the four hole than I do on a normal day. And then like, what would happen? Those would turn into three hit days, right? Like it's crazy because like. You just have to make admissions left and right. And then at the same time, like maintain this like level of arrogance to say that like, I'm better than everybody else. And I, I, I'm, finding, I'm finding it really hard to describe that stuff to young players because I don't think they, they embrace it. I don't think they understand it. I don't think anybody's ever really taken the time to teach it to them. Or maybe, maybe it's not something that can be taught. I don't know. I feel like it was taught to me. Well, it's, where's, where's the refusal to get beat? Yeah. Like where's the, like hitting is not allowing yourself to be out front. It's not allowing yourself to miss under it's competing and battling in like these, these millimeter moments where you have to fight for success. Like where, where is that? I have a question for you. This is a real yeah. question. How many times, how many times until you got to professional baseball and even maybe in professional baseball, did you strike out three times a game? Three times in the game. I, re I remember one game in particular in uh, – where was Dan Duquette's field out? The Berkshires. Yeah, the Berkshires. Yeah. I, I remember that game. I think I struck out four times in that game, and I felt it, it was a long ride out there. It was like a three-hour bus ride, and I fell asleep like 30 minutes away from the field, and I was in a fog the whole game. You were like blacked out. Yeah, yeah. And then the, and then the, uh, <laughs> the backstop was like five feet deep. And the radio yeah. guy was like, Tootsbury, bad. He struck out three times already today. I was like, dude, I'm, I can hear you. Stop, stop. Uh, so that happened one time. I think I struck out. I, I remember when I was young, I went swimming before a game and they all, the, you know, yeah. and my arms felt like jello. And I struck out, I forget if it was two or three times, but it was unacceptable. Like, unacceptable. Like, happen. straight, like, never going to happen again. So I would tell you that the number of like more than two strikeout games that I had and two strikeout games were few and far between, but the number of like three to four strikeout games that I had, like I could count on one hand. I had one in an exhibition game in high school in a, in a, in a scrimmage college. I'm fairly certain I never struck out three times in a game. Like I, I I'll go back and look at the box scores and confirm that for next week. The first, I, I, I would say an independent ball. I, 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 I'd be hard pressed to say that I had a three strikeout game. And I'm gonna tell you why. Because after my first punch out, the time in between that at bat, my next at bat was like 
being livid about the fact that I punched out and I got embarrassed on the field and it was not going to happen again. Come hell or high water, period. Like it just wasn't going to happen. And then God forbid the guy got me a second time, there was no shot I was striking out three times. There was no chance I would bunt if I needed to because I, I was not going to strike out. Yeah, just striking out was not really an option. It just wasn't. It just wasn't part of what you allowed to happen. It's crazy that it's so normal now. But even it, it's like kids think that if they take a good swing or if they have a good swing, they're going to be good. And that's just not what it is. That's you're, you're not playing the game. There's like uh, they used to talk about that with Tiger Woods. He like he he would mess with the swing so much that they'd say he's not playing golf. He's playing swing. And that happens with so many kids now. They think like, oh, I'm going to go get my mechanics worked on and I'm going to improve my, my swing mechanics and then I'm a good hitter. You yeah. could do it if you know what you're trying to achieve. You can work on your swing all you want if you know how to hit. And but I think that's, that's like there's, binary. There's, a, there's this whole movement now about, you know, you got to learn how to swing and then you learn how to hit. And then there's also a dynamic where you need to learn how to be fast and learn how to be explosive before you learn how to hit. And that it's big in golf. It's a big like on base U TPI carryover effect where they teach young golfers now to be explosive first, like just swing as hard as you can figure out how to straighten it out later. I just, I don't know if I buy that. Like, I feel like learn how to control the ball, learn how to control your swing. And you know, you need to have some intent, but I, I don't, when think, I'm, when I'm, but I don't think, Time out. I don't think what you're saying, I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. Like if I could take a little kid, I would go, I would, I would say, Hey, go out on the field, swing as hard as you can and figure it out. Go out on the field, swing as hard as you can, figure it out. Try to hit the ball as far as you can all the time, as hard as you can all the time and figure it out. But then like, like not like, Hey, here's your swing mechanics. Like, but like, Hey, like we got to try to not make outs. There's a big difference. The biggest difference between golf and baseball is there's no time and constraint in golf. So if you you could tell a kid, yes, yeah, swing as hard as you can, biggest backswing imaginable, like turn your back to the target, lift your front foot off the you could do whatever you want in golf because the ball's just sitting there. In baseball, when if you're ingraining patterns that make you swing slow, it's if you went out to the field and you said, all right, I'm gonna set the machine up to throw a, a stressful velocity and your job is to hit the ball as hard as you can, as far as you can. Okay. Now we're doing something, but right. if you're sitting the ball on the tee, you're flipping underhand saying, Hey, hit the top of the cage. You're, you're creating. But a that's whole that's why the, the baseball evolution needs to start with like the little guy, right? Just go, Hey, put it on the tee. See how far you get. Once you get comfortable with the tee and you're hitting it all the time, then I'll flip it. Now I'll flip it a little harder. Then I'll go overhand. Now, now start introducing velocity. So that's the development cycle. And then like, if the kid enjoys hitting and he really understands hey johnny the point is to try to score points we score points when we get on base we get on base when we hit it where they aim, right and oh by the way if you hit it over that fence you get a point by yourself so like the rules are very simple and it has to start from there like and then now you introduce all of the development and then what happens is like if a kid is around the right teaching or the right instruction then he'll he'll figure it out right? He'll figure it out. And if he figures it out, great, then we're good. 
Yeah. I, one thing that's interesting about the whole like swing versus hit is if, if you don't have a zero, like a neutral, what I mean by zero is new. If your zero isn't like ability to find a barrel, what are you working towards? Like exactly. if, if you don't, if you don't have that baseline of, I know how to find a barrel, I know how to adjust and get my bat on the ball in an effective manner. If you don't have, if that's not what you're working towards with whatever speed training you're doing with whatever, like weightlifting program you're doing. If you don't have that innate ability to get the sweet spot of the bat on the ball and hit it hard. Regardless of your swing mechanics, regardless, regardless of, of stand, swing, world, how you stand, how you hold your hands, you need to be able to go barrel the baseball, period. And it's like the, the analogy, I guess, in golf would be like, if you can't find the center of the club face, swing as hard as you want. If you don't have the feel, if you don't have the awareness, if you don't have the desire to, to repeat that execution, I just don't, I don't, I don't understand what you're doing. Yeah. That's, that's at the heart of everything you should be trying to do is square up the ball every single time. So even if like, there's going to be times where you have to give yourself permission to like feel something new, like give yourself permission to swing and miss, give yourself another line like, that we have to tow. That's another line. I said, it's a bunch of lines we're towing, yeah. dude. It's just a bunch of them. And you better figure like, it's not like, Hey, I'm going to live on this side and one, like, but these are all discovery things. This is why hitting is hard. Cause these are all discovery things. Like you have to go through these things. You have to live them. And th this is what's frustrating is like, they turn to me for an answer. And I'm like, dude, like, you, like we can talk about it, but I don't have the answer. Don't come up to me and tell me you feel good. Cause you got three hits in your last eight at bats. Cause if you had one hit in your last eight at bats, you wouldn't feel good. Anyway. Crazy. Let's uh, let's post show it real quick. We got all-star game finalists and we have some, uh, who do you want to see in the home run derby? Trey Mancini, pretty cool move. Getting him in the, in the derby. So let's go. Do you want to go position by position? That's not very quick. No, I only have one thought on the all-star finalists. I, I looked through all of them yesterday. or two I want to find ago. the bracket there. there. I saw a bracket somewhere and now it's just a huge article on MLB.com. No, I don't understand why Javi Baez is one of the all-star finalists he's hitting 227. Well, because he's popular. It's, it's a popularity contest. It's not – that's all it is. Yeah, he's got 17 homers, but he's, he's only opsing like 770 or whatever. Opsing. And maybe that's the best, yeah. Uh, Who are the National League shortstops that are good? Real quick. Trevor Story is hurt. He was hurt. Uh, one, thing I don't, hurt. one thing I don't like about them, the all-star voting is they start like April 15th. They start – right. Voting. So let's clarify the fact that Tatis is going to start a shortstop for the National League, right? There's no doubt about it. Just no ifs, ands, or buts. Um, like, yeah. I, I mean, but, who, like, who are the good shortstops in the National League? Tatis, Story, Seager. Um, De Jong's out this year, too, right? He's hurt. He had a pretty good year last year or the year before. There's some good shortstops in the National League. Javi's playing short. Um I'd have to go through team by team. Milwaukee is Arias, or it was Arcia, and they, they got the uh, they just traded for Willie Adams, right? Cincinnati, Buck Farmers playing shortstop in Cincinnati right now. Um, Great Turner, Brandon Crawford's having a pretty good year. Yeah, Brandon Crawford's not in the final three. That's annoying because the Giants need to have an All Star. Uh, but like Didi, Didi's been hurt all year. He's a Philly, right? Didi's been hurt. Like, there's a lot of good shortstops in the National League, and that's why I was like, why is Javi? 
in the Let's final three at 227. Trey Turner would have, been, would have been a good fantasy pick. <clears throat> Producer Patrick hitting 309 with 12. He's no he's no Tatis, but he's having a solid year. Brandon Coffer's having a – He's a good player. Yeah, uh, so that, that was the only thing I didn't understand. How he buys. Who's that? AL, AL shortstops. Correa's leading in war. Is he in the final three? Isn't it? It's Bogarts, Bichette, and it's Correa's three. It's Correa three. There's like I just need one big graphic. Yeah, but it's, it's not. Thing. You have to go through the article. Yeah, it's just a bunch of just pictures. It's Bichette. Yeah, it's Bichette, Bogarts, and Correa. And Correa and Bogarts are tied for war, if you're into that sort of thing. And Xander is going to win. Marcus Simeon is going to start the All-Star game at second base. He's having a really good year. Yeah, you know why? Because he's playing the position that he's supposed to play. He was never a shortstop. I played against this guy in the minor leagues. Great hitter, not a shortstop. Ever. Like, not even close. That's why that one year in Oakland, he made like 79,000 errors. And I was like, what are they doing? And there's no way that you can tell me that that doesn't affect your offense. Then he figured out how to play short a little bit, but still like playing in Oakland and playing shortstop. And then they put him at second in a good ballpark. And I was like, weird. He's sitting a billion with a billion. It's a good play. Yeah. 18 pumps. Uh, home run derby. Marcus Simeon. You think Simeon should be in the derby? No, I'm just kidding. So Alvarez, is Alvarez going to hit it? I don't know. Otani's confirmed, right? Yeah. I don't I don't haven't seen anybody. They extended some invites. Who's confirmed? We got Otani. MLB. Twitter might be able to tell me. MLB home run. The only people you want home run derbies are monsters and like Vlad because he's so he's Vlad's not doing it in Tatis Jr.'s. I know. But Trevor I don't blame Story. either one of them. Trevor Story is in. It's boring. Uh, Tatis, no. Pete Alonso, in. It's fine. Mancini, in. Uh, I just saw a tweet that said Bo Bichette should do it because it's in course and there's the data connection, which would be cool. Who, like, you just need monsters. Jordan Alvarez needs to hit it. Guys that can hit the ball 600 feet in batting. I think Schwarber should be in. Schwarber's been hitting a billion homers. Um, yeah, he's done a home run derby before, though. It wasn't good. Was he? I don't remember. It was non-memorable, let's put it that way. Yeah, but he's he just hit, like, 15 homers in 10 days. Get Judge or Stanton to do it. Neither one of them will. No. Um, Acuna would be fun to see in there. Matt Olson would be a good one. He Matt Olson, yeah. He's, he's a had a really good year. He's, he's so good. good. Um, the Adalas Garcia guy. Yeah. He's got 20 pumps. Little international flair. Devers would Devers be a good guy for it? I'm just going down the home run leaders list. Yeah, I'd watch Devers, but I want guys that are like just behemoths. Like I would want like six like, six across. Yeah, Alvarez, Stan, Judge, Otani. That's like four, and then everybody like you can't have Bregman hitting the home run derby with those four guys. Like it just doesn't work. Yeah, like I'd rather I'd rather you get like like. DeMarcus Ware to hit in the home run derby against those four guys, even if he hits zero. Because then you could be like, whoa, look at the size of him. Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah, Tim Duncan, whatever. 
Jared Walsh could be an interesting one. He's young. Uh, Mar- Mario Lemieux, big hockey player. Get him too. Jared Walsh. Jared Walsh is a real one, though. Yeah, Jared Walsh. He got 18. I'm done. That's uh, it. I got nothing left. Who are the other who's who are the big guys in, in the big leagues right now though? There's a lot, of, there's a lot of smaller guys that are in. I punks. just named all of them. Otani, Judge, Stanton, Alvarez. And that's it. I feel like Alvarez would take like the smoothest BP just hitting lasers all over the field. So far. You know who could hit in the home run derby would be awesome. Robel Garcia. He makes loud noises. Is he still who's he with right now? Houston. Been up and down all year because it's like they had to send him down for a minute. But he had a walk-off hit already. Hit his first pump the other day. He's gonna end up with more service time than me. I was thinking about him the other day in that whole like Italy trip and how like day one, I'm at the field, everybody's speaking Italian. I don't know what's going on. And this dude starts hitting, and I'm like, why is he here? Like Yeah, there are balls exploding off his back. It sounds I was like, like it sounds like he's hitting rocks and his moves are really good. And he wasn't going to make the team for the Super Six in the fall. And I was like, dude, this guy's got to make the team. Like, he has to make the team. And then he wasn't going to play. And then our DH got hurt on the first day. And he got casually rolled in and got four hits. And then the next game, he got four hits. And then, like, he hit for the cycle one day. And then because of that, because he came to that tournament and ended up playing in that tournament, we invited him to the fall thing in the U.S. And as soon as we were going to the fall league, I was like, or the instructs or whatever, I was like, this guy's going to sign while we're there. He makes too loud of noises. And then, I mean, he buggy whipped a dude from Cincinnati. Like, he, you know, like Cincinnati and Cleveland share uh, mm-hmm. minor league comp, like the major league complex or whatever. Yep. But Cincinnati's down the street from Cleveland, the minor league side. We were playing on one of the fields where, like, right field is facing the airport or the, the old airplanes or whatever. He hit one off an airplane, I think. Like, he turned around 98 and hit that sucker. Hit it, had to gone, it, it had to have gone, like, 946 feet. Man. It was a 1,000, like, literally. And, I was and like, that yeah, field, the field where we were hitting practice, there was, like, a water tank or something in the center field, some big yeah. white object in center field, and guys were just hitting line drives off the roof. I'm like, what is happening? Yeah. Was... Yeah. Robel Garcia. Put him in the home run derby. We'll see. We'll do- oh, I'm not ready for that. That's too early. That was too early. We'll have to do a uh, uh, do, do like a watch party, a virtual watch party for the home run derby or something. Home run derby is fun. The time the time format is awesome. Well, because you threw it. Now that's why you like it. That no, but it's the old format where guys just took 37 pitches between swings. That's boring. We're in trouble. I'm at low battery, and I don't even have my. Charge. Well, that's rookie move. Not bringing your charger. Good thing you. And now also my phone's ringing. Yeah. It's the third time I've gotten a call during all of this. Is it Michael? So, it is not Michael. All right. I got a miss. In call so many him. ways, I wish it was. I had a missed call from him, so I got to call him back. Anyway. Uh, yeah, we'll do some sort of watch party or something for the derby. Derby's fun. Uh, Great. And we won't watch the juniors, the juniors, junior, Tatis and Vlad. Yeah. You see a thing about uh, games to 50 homers or something like that? Yeah, Vlad's is ridiculous. It's crazy. It's so good. All right, we're ready. Oh, here we go. Pick up!